again, welcome, welcome, glad that you're here. This is actually, for those of you who may be visiting or, or just for here for the first time or haven't been here in a long time, this is kind of the culmination of a big series that we did called Jesus Is. And here, here's what I know about you. When I say Jesus, something pops into your mind. Sometimes it's a feeling, sometimes it's an image. Some of us have, you know, some of the images that were in that video, they're kind of old school. And I don't know about you, how many of you grew up going to church as a kid, at least every once in a while, kind of, yeah, yeah. Now, if you were anything like me, church is, is, is kind of weird when you're a kid because you really don't know what's going on, do you? So you just kind of go with the flow, whatever is, is, is the main deal that your parents took you to. And so the, the church that I was taken to was, uh, was Southern Baptist. And if you know what that means, um, that means that there was a giant, um, a giant podium here. There was like a two-ton wooden, you know, they carved out a tree and just stuck it right here. Um, and then there were thrones. Did anybody go to a church with thrones? Nobody did that? My church had thrones. They had like four thrones up here. And the pastor always had like the biggest one. <laughs> and, and, and there were chandeliers. And you counted the chandeliers when you got bored, right? Like the preacher went too long. You one. And then you would think if the chandelier fell, who would it fall on? And your hope is not you. Um, we, had, we had pews. We didn't have chairs like that. We had pews. Stain, who had stained glass windows? Anybody stained glass windows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, because the stained glass window give you the image of Jesus and the crosses and all this stuff. And then, and then a guy would get up. Now, if you're a kid still, you, you had no idea what was going on. And you just probably colored. As a matter of fact, I had this so sweet. Uh, a couple weeks ago, this little girl came up to me. She's like, here, I made this for you. And she made me a little picture of Jesus. And she, I'm like, oh, did you make this in kids' church? She goes, no, no, I was just sitting there listening to you. And I just drew this. I'm like, you weren't listening to me. You're four. Um, and so because of... Maybe the way that we were raised, we have an image and a picture or a feeling or a vibe that comes when we think about Jesus. Now, some of you didn't grow up going to church, and so your image is, is maybe even different. It's very different than the one that I grew up with. I don't even know what it is. It could be. I remember having a conversation with a couple of girls at work when I was working in Ohio, um, so before I kind of got into full-time ministry, and, and they had no idea who Jesus was. They actually, like, they were talking to me about why I was going to Bible college and what I was all about. And they said, well, what is Jesus? Is he some kind of spirit or something? And they had no clue that Jesus was actually a historical person. Actually, historically documented outside of biblical sources. He was a real person. He actually walked around. This isn't fairy tale. This isn't legend. This isn't myth. He was a real person. And he made some really radical claims. He made claims like this. Hey, I'm the son of God. And, and, and people were, were wowed because not only would he claim stuff like that, but then, then miracles would follow and he'd do crazy things. And then he would teach in such a way that was just mind-blowing to people. And, and so they, people were like, maybe this is the one. They called it the Messiah. Messiah was this term that the Jews used that they always believed that someone was eventually coming to make all things right. Someone was coming to kind of like bring order back into the world and to save and deliver the Jewish people. And they called it Messiah. And so Jesus said, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And so they were like, yes, because they wanted to be delivered because they paid bad taxes. Right. And if you pay too much in taxes, you want deliverance. And so anyway, that was their deal. They were underneath Rome and oppression. They wanted to get free. Thank God. Finally, Messiah is here and we can be free. But, but here's the problem, though, is that Jesus showed up and he started doing things very different than what they expected. Because when you're underneath the oppression of a government, you think what you need is a revolutionary leader. Like somebody's going to overthrow the government and start a, and, he, and he didn't do that. The weirdest thing happened. He waits till a day called Passover. And on Passover, he eventually gets himself stuck and he makes the wrong people mad and they killed him 
on Passover. Like, I don't know if you know what Passover is, because really what we're talking about here is, is we're talking about what I would consider the greatest story ever. It's the story of redemption. And, and it's nothing but a link of stories. So, for example, the story of Passover. Now, how many are Jewish or have a Jewish friend or ever hear about Passover before? Passover, yeah, it's been around for 3,500 years. been around a long time. Passover was this event that took place 3,500 years ago in the way, I'll just tell you the story. It was called the story of the Exodus. That's, that's kind of what they refer to it as. And this is what's going on. Is that the Jewish people are once again in slavery. There is someone who owns them, that runs them, that, that is the taskmaster over their life. They are enslaved to another government system. And they believe that one day God might deliver them. And sure enough, one day this guy named Moses shows up and he says, hey, it's time for, for God to deliver his people. And so what they do is this. God speaks through Moses and tells Pharaoh, hey, you've got to let my people go. You're beating them. You're mistreating them. You're abusing them. It is time to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no. He's stubborn. He called him stiff-necked. And he says, no. And so God's like, look, you're going you're gonna to do this. Because I mean, that's what you do when you're a parent, right? You're going to. Or else. And so God gives him the, you're gonna, because I'm the parent, I'm God. And so he says, look, if you don't do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to bring punishment. And he says, no. That's what your kids do when they act crazy too, right? Says, no. And so God sends these plagues as a form of punishment and judgment. And he, and well, the funny thing was is that every one of their plagues that God sent represented one of the deities that they worshipped. It was as almost as if God was mocking their worship because they worshipped frogs. And be like, you want frogs? I got your frogs. And he just throw frogs on them. And it's crazy. You worship the Nile, I'll just turn it to blood. You know, you worship the moon, I'll blot out the moon. You know, I'll just do all these things. And so it, it culminates. And finally God's like, look, I'm telling you, you need to let these people go. No. And so it's like, look, here, here's the one that death is coming to your land. And I'm going to send death to your land to get you to break off this pride, this stiff neck thing that you've got, because you're going to let my people go. And no. And so God sends death upon the land. But he tells the Jewish people, he goes, hey, this is a night where I want you to take a lamb. Everybody say a lamb. A lamb. Here's what I want you to do. So weird. God shows up, begins to speak to him. So I want you, I want you to kill a lamb. Fuzzy, cute little quadruped. Just I want you to kill it. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the blood that comes from the lamb, and I want you to put it over your door. Both sides of the door and the top of the door. And that way when death hits the land, when death comes over the land, it'll see the blood. And then you'll be saved. Death will literally pass over you, which is where you get the word Passover from. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go inside, and I want you to gather, and I want you to eat the lamb. As a meal. And I want you to fellowship and commune with one another. And this is the celebration of Passover. For 3,500 years, people have been celebrating the idea of Passover. They literally gather. And they gather to remember this incredible event where God showed up and delivered them. And can you imagine what this would have looked like? Everybody's upset. There's funerals everywhere. People had just died. Finally, Pharaoh says, fine, you can go. Get out of here. And, he, and then he, he gets mad later and decides, never mind, I want to kill you anyway. And so... The point was this, though, is all these people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are released from slavery. Can you imagine? Because everybody would have heard about this in the surrounding areas, right? And they would have asked the question, what is going on here? What, what, what happened? Where, why are you here? What's going on? What has just taken place? Do you know what their answer would have been? Their answer would have been something like this. This would have been their story. If you could put it on the screen, please. Any moment now. There you go. 
This would have been their story. I was a slave under a sentence of death. But I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped that bondage. God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. Can you imagine being a part of that group of people that you had seen the miraculous, you'd seen the crazy, you'd seen the, the absolute undeniable works of God in the earth. And then all of a sudden you're free. And this is your story. I was a slave, but I took shelter beneath the blood of a lamb. And now I'm here and I'm I, God's in our midst and we're following him to the promised land. Land. What an incredible thing that would have been their story. And this is the greatest story in Jewish history that they celebrate every single year. As a matter of fact, there's a portion of Passover where they have one of the kids get up, and this is what they do. They ask four questions, and all four questions basically sound really, really similar, but they all just on this. Daddy, why is this night different than every other night? And then the dad would get up and tell this story. The story of the Exodus. What an incredible story. But see, now we move forward in time. And now we don't have the Exodus. Now we have Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, he shows up at about the age of 30 in public life. And he goes to a guy named John the Baptist to go get baptized to kind of start his ministry. And this is what John the Baptist says as he sees Jesus for the very first time. It says this. It says that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then now you have Jesus shows up. And remember, he begins to teach and preach and tell people about the kingdom of God. But it all culminates on a day called what? Passover. And do you know that what Jesus does on Passover, he actually begins to have a Passover Seder, a meal with his own disciples. But then something radical happens. Soldiers come and they arrest him and they put him on trial. And they eventually determine that they're going to crucify This rebel, crucify this troublemaker, crucify this one that claims to be God. And they take him and they start doing some really, really interesting things. So, for example, even even the few days leading up to his his trial and his crucifixion, they test him and they question him over and over and over again. Do you know what they were doing to the lamb back in the book of Exodus? The Bible said that the lamb had to be perfect without blemish. It had to be perfect. And they would literally watch the lamb for days to make sure it was a perfect lamb. And for days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, they prodded him with question after question after question to see if they could get him to make a mistake. Not only was Jesus perfect in the sense that he can answer all their questions, he was perfect in the sense that he was sinless, that he lived a sinless life. He was perfect. Just like that little lamb had to be perfect and without blemish, that was Jesus. And do you know that, that they arrested him And then brought him that early morning to be crucified. The reason why they did that was because Jesus was actually really, really popular. And they knew this is so the people that killed Jesus. It wasn't like everybody. It was a small little sect inside of Judaism and some of their leaders. And they got together with Rome and they plotted together to kill this guy. And it it wasn't everybody. Jesus, how many know when you feed people and do miracles, you're pretty popular. People like you. So when did they arrest Jesus? In the middle of the night. After everybody just had Passover dinner and had four glasses of wine. (laughs) Everybody's asleep, right? Jesus is praying in a garden and that's when they arrest him. Because they knew if we arrest him in the middle of the day, people are going to get mad and upset. When did they put him on trial? In the middle of the night while everybody was sleeping. When did they crucify him? At the same exact time where people had brought their Passover lamb to be killed that next morning. Jesus, let me put it like the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed.
So imagine the chaos that erupts. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. The disciples gather. They begin to eventually tell and preach the gospel, to preach the story of Jesus. And all craziness breaks loose, like a revival breaks loose. And I guarantee you, like, people were in town for another festival. And people were asking, what in the world is going on? Do you know what their story would have been? Their story would have been something like this. Well, I was a slave under a sentence of death. But I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and I escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst, and we are following Him to the promised land. The story would have never changed. Do you remember when they took the blood of the Lamb and they put it on the doorpost on both sides and the top? When they crucified Jesus, they pierced both of His wrists, and they put a crown of thorns and jammed it into His head. And there would have been blood at the top and at both of the sides. All this was the picture that Jesus was the Passover lamb. We were singing about it early. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The lamb has overcome. Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years. Let's talk about my story. Maybe it's very, very similar to your story. Because here's what I know about me and you. Is at some point in our lives, maybe the reason why we're gathered here today is because we're looking or searching or maybe somebody just promised us ham later. Maybe it's because we've already made a decision. What we've determined is this. Is we've determined that Jesus has got to be not a, a, a part of somebody else's story. Jesus needs to be a part of my story. So my story is, is, is very simple. I'll give you the cliff notes. I'm 16 years old and I'm lost I am hopeless. I am lifeless. Something is wrong and I know it. And so the only thing I can think to do is, is pray a prayer because I remember I grew up going to church and so I had this picture of Jesus. It was felt board Jesus. It was stained glass window Jesus. And that's all that I had. But I thought to myself, I thought, I don't have anything else. And God, if you're real, then I'm just going to try. And I prayed a prayer for the very first time and my prayer was very simple. It was something like this. God, if you're real, I need help right now. God, if you're real, I need you in my life because my life as it currently is right now is worthless. And that was my very first prayer. And I don't know what yours is. You have a story. Hopefully you have a story. And usually, usually we're a little bit like Pharaoh. We're stiff necked. We want to say no to God. We want to not surrender to God. We do, we're not ready to commit. We're not, we're not ready to jump in. And so we resist. And that was what my life was like. I wanted to do my thing. I wanted to go have fun and go mess around and be dumb and be an idiot. And eventually, I became empty. I kind of come to the end of myself. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells a similar story. He tells a parable about a young man who rejects his father's love and goes out and lives completely selfishly. Wastes his life. But the Bible says wrote something really simple. It says that when he came to the end of himself... That's usually where you have to get, if you're anything like me, hopefully your heart is soft. <laughs> hopefully you just want to know God. I was stiff-necked, and so I had to get brought to the end of myself. And, and, and this prodigal son, this crazy kid, he had to, because the Bible says he came to the end of himself. Can I give you a thought here? The only thing that can really hurt you in the realm of sin is for you just to constantly say, you know what, I'm going to be my own God. That's the ultimate sin, isn't it? Like we, we, we all sin and Jesus forgives us of our sin. What's the only sin that kind of really keeps us from God? It's the sin of saying, God, I don't need you. It's the sin of saying, God, I'll be my own savior. I'll just do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I'll do it my way. And I don't need you. That's really the only sin that can send anybody to hell. 
Doesn't God forgive all sins when we ask him? Therefore, the only thing that could actually keep us from God is to reject him altogether, to say, no, I don't need that. I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. And usually it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we pray that simple prayer and we ask God to come into our lives. Now, when I prayed that prayer and I decided to turn in my heart towards God, some amazing, incredible things begin to happen. And I begin to teach in churches and preach in churches. And I begin to share my story and tell my testimony. And you know what my testimony was very, very similar to? It sounded a little bit like this. I was a slave to sin. I was underneath the sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and I escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. Nothing has changed. It is the greatest story in all of human history because it is the story of redemption. It's the story that has to be told. What you, here, here's what you need to know and I'll, I'll try to make it simple. Is that everything began with God. Isn't that how Genesis 1 starts? In the beginning, God. It all begins with God. What we see through life, through the scriptures, is this. Is that God is love. So you move from God and you move into the fact that he is love. As a byproduct of love, you know what you end up with? Freedom. Because the only way you can entertain love and engage in love and give and take love is for you to be what? Free. You have to have freedom. Here's the problem. When you introduce freedom, you know, you know what you introduce? Evil. So now all of a sudden you have God, love, freedom, evil. Now what you need is this. Now you need redemption from that evil. And the only way to redeem something from evil is you need a savior. This is the story that we all need to be a part of. Okay, let's fast forward. Sometime in the future, and I don't know when, and I don't read the stars, and I don't read horoscopes, and I, I don't know any of that stuff, and, and, and the book of Revelation is, is confusing to me too, okay? But somewhere there is a future celebration, because there's some things I do know. I know at the end Jesus returns. I know at the end he makes all things right. I know at the end there's an eternity in heaven. I know that there is something that we get to heaven and there is a future celebration. I'll just give you just a, a glimpse of it here. Revelations 19. The Bible says, Revelation, that, that's the last one in the whole book. That we're at the end. This is after all things have ended. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you know what? There's a group of people that gather in heaven. And the Bible says they come from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And there's so many you can't even count them all. And they all gather get together for a feast and a festival and a celebration. I want to tell you this, like, because some of you are afraid to go to heaven because you think you'll die and go to church for eternity. And you, it scares the bejesus out of you. The, the kingdom is a celebration, and you've been invited in. I don't know what church you went to, but it, listen, it's a celebration, and you've been invited in. And every tongue and every tribe and every nation and a multitude of people that cannot be counted, they will get together. And you know what their story will be? Their story will go something like this. I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and I escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are with him.
in the promised land. It's a great story ever told. The only question is, is are you going to be a part of it? Because that's all that really matters at this point. Is that you become a part of the redemptive story. There is God. There is love. Therefore, there is freedom, which introduced evil, which required some type of redemption. And the only way to be redeemed, the only way you can redeem something that's imperfect is something that with something that is perfect. And that's why he was our perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, here's the question I want to ask you today. This is the most important thing that you can ever ask yourself is, am I a part of that redemptive story? Have I actually, because I'm telling you, we, we all have sin. And that sin doesn't keep you out of heaven. Unless it's the sin that just pushes back and kicks back and says, God, I don't need you. I can be my own savior. I'm by my own mind. I'll figure it out. I got my own ways. I'll do it the way I want it to. That is the thing that actually keeps you. I'm telling you, there is sin. There is evil. Therefore, you need redemption. And the only way to find redemption is through a perfect Savior. Now, here's, here's the thought that I'll leave you with. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, hey, look. Hey, for 1,500 years, there's been a priest that got up once a year and killed a little quadruped, a cute little fuzzy thing, killed it so that you could be forgiven and have all of your sins forgiven for one year. But... The writer of Hebrews says this, we have a perfect high priest who got up one time and offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. It's done. Thank God we're not up here killing animals today. Once and for all, for all mankind, so that we might be a part of that redemptive story. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Dear God, I thank you for today and I thank you that There's an incredible story going on here that, God, you've been setting us up for hundreds and thousands of years, God, so that we might know that something is going on all around us, that, God, you are love. And your love was put on full display when you sent your son into the earth, that he might be a savior so that we might be a part of a redemptive story. Now, here's here's what I know. For some of us in this room, we've already said yes to that story. We've already said yes to Jesus. We've already said yes. I I don't want to be my own savior. I'm not that good. I don't have it all figured out. And we at some point in our time, maybe because our heart was just open, or maybe because eventually we came to the end of ourselves, but we eventually just said, yes, I'm done. I can't save myself. Jesus, would you be my savior? And I'm hoping that today might just be your day. That for far too long, you've been on the outside looking in. For far too long, you've been kicking back. For far too long, you've been saying, I'll just do it my way. I'm telling you, there is a better way. His name is Jesus. And what he offers is incredible. And what he asks in return is everything. Will you be a part of that redemptive story? So, hey, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity just to kind of make that change today. Now, listen, there's no magic. There's no super magical prayer that just all of a sudden does it for you and you're good. No, no, it's, it's, there's something that goes on inside of you. And it, 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 nothing crazy will happen. You might not even feel a goosebump or a weird feeling. But something on the inside of you begins to change. And what happens is, is that in your heart, you turn towards God and you just say, okay, I'm ready. You just say yes. You just say, God, help me. 
it comes out in a number of different ways. But in our heart, we just finally give up and we say, God, I think I need you because I, I think I'm lost and I need a savior. And if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I need to be a part of the redemptive story. I need Jesus to be my savior. I need Jesus to come into my life. Then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand just as a simple gesture between you and God. No one's looking around. It's just between you and him to say yes, to say, God, okay, to say, God, help me to say, God, if you're real, then I need you. That was my prayer. And I think God takes it. I'm here. There was a thief who was hanging on a cross right next to Jesus. He'd been a heathen and a criminal his entire life. In his last moments, he, he finally figured it out. He had actually come to the end of himself. I think figuratively and literally, he was at the end. And he looked to Jesus and he said, Jesus, there's clearly something special about you. And I'm kind of throwing out a Hail Mary here, but can you remember me when you get into your kingdom? And Jesus said, you know what? I'll take that. That's good enough for me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. Just as a gesture, say, God, I, I'm, I'm ready. God, I, I know that I need. God, I don't want to be my own Savior. That's me today. On the count of three, one, two, three. And slip your hand up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good enough to save myself. I do not have it all figured out. I want to be a part of the story that says that I found freedom underneath the blood of a lamb. And now God is in my midst and I'm following him to a better place. If you're in here today, here's what I want you to do. For those of you who raised your hand, we're going to pray a prayer together. Like it's not magical. It's just the way of you kind of with your heart, taking whatever you felt in your heart and spitting out of your mouth in some simple, simple words. And so here's what I want us to do. Everybody in this building, I want us all to say this prayer out loud. That way they don't have to feel awkward and say it alone. Can we do that? And I want you to pray this prayer out loud so you can kind of hear it with your own ears. We'll all do it together. And your prayer is going to go something like this. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm lost, but I want to be found. I'm in need of redemption. I'm in need of a savior. I'm in need of forgiveness. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Help me, Lord, to know you, to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life as you show me how. I thank you that you died in my place so that I might be forgiven. It is in your precious name that I pray. Give me the best amen you got of the day today. Could you do that?